All right. Hello. We are here today with Josh Williams, who is now just a designer. And you might be familiar with his past work, uh, Gowalla, Blink Sale, and Firewheel Design, among other things. How are you doing today, Josh? Uh, doing great. Good morning. All Thank right. You. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. No, I'm excited about this. Uh, so I guess give us a brief overview of how you got into web, uh, how you started, and the wild journey you've been on to get to where you are now. In 30 seconds. So... <laughs> Take um, as long as you need. Yeah, no. So I actually, um, I was, uh, I started volunteering um, at our church when I was a teen as a graphic designer doing like an afternoon a week, um, just working on odd projects. And so that was like when I was 13 or 14 and my mom kind of had a graphic design background. And so I was doing, it was illustrator, freehand, page maker, and uh, just doing traditional graphic design work. And then long about, you know, 95, 96, I had a friend, you know, who was hiring me to do some odd jobs and was like, hey, you should, um, you know, you should learn to code and this graphic design stuff is all going to be, you know, on the internet at some point. Um, and he pushed me pretty hard on that. And it turns out, you know, he was, uh, ended up being right. So that was kind of what, what pushed me to take, uh, you know, take the stuff that I was doing for print design and, and start, start doing it on the web and in digital. Of course, I, I love icon design. Uh, I had like a hobby habit of replacing the trash can icons on, you know, Mac OS 7 and all that sort of stuff. I nearly got fired uh, for, you know, system resource editing uh, at one of my jobs. So, you know, you learn things that are, you know, fun, but, but kind of nefarious at, at a low level. And, uh, you know, a hobby turned out to be, you know, kind of a, a job and um you know it turns out that iconography and that there was you know a couple companies doing that at the time in the mid late 90s like icon factory and they started throwing some extra work my way and you know hired a couple friends next thing you know you've got a you know small agency doing uh iconography and user interface design work for for software and and that's what ultimately became you know my first studio firewheel uh, and everything kind of else you know came out of that um yeah, so that was that was my background, just you know, graphic designer, and then ended up, you know, ended up in the web world, and then ultimately mobile from there. And it's like I think it, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about having watched Firewall over the years is you really you look at how everything got chained together, and Gowalla even came out of that icon design work, like right. so much of what you did. Um, Blink Sale, I guess, was obviously very heavy on design, and I'm sure you've got some stories about the lime green uh, that would be great to talk about. But uh, can you talk, I guess, kind of about the transition from how you got into a product and then how you kind of gravitated back and got into what eventually became Gowalla and the kind of the path to Gowalla through all the icons and, and everything else? Yeah. So as Firewheel began to grow... You know, this is the era of um, 37 Signals had just launched Basecamp, and there's kind of like these early Ruby on Rails apps that uh, no one really, I mean, this is Web 2.0, you know, if, that's, if people actually even remember that. Um, and in the midst of that, as we were growing our own, you know, services, we were a small organization, and I was increasingly doing more overhead work than actual design work. So the question was, how can I eliminate uh, redundant tasks from my, uh, for my workflow, and one of those obviously was just the act of um, uh, bookkeeping, invoicing, and the like. 
and inspired by others out there, thought, oh, hey, let's um, let's build a little invoicing service to streamline, you know, that process for us. Um, turns out it's, you know, it's a need that other people have as well. And there wasn't at the time a lot of great solutions for that. So BlinkSale was uh, an outcome uh, from our own our own studio of, uh, of just building a service that we wanted to use ourselves. And it was, you know, designed, the first version designed and built in like, was four or five months, you know, kind of conceived it in March or April and shipped it in, you know, July. And, and um, uh, the first version was very much one of those, you put it out there and you invest kind of out of the profits of your, of your business. At the time, we were still uh, really a three-person shop, and I had hired a uh, contract engineer, Scott Raymond, who ultimately, you know, became a co-founder with me at some of the later opportunities. And and so you're you're using your own profits to build this thing. There's a little bit of like, I don't know if this is going to work out. And initially, like, still didn't know, and thought we sunk. You know, at the time. Seems so small now, but at the time it was like, oh, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars worth of uh, effectively getting company profits that you're putting into a project like this. And it wasn't until probably nine or ten months later when we shipped the second version of Blink Sale and then raised the prices, and um, that you started to feel like, okay, maybe there's a time in the future now where you know we make that money back, where this becomes you know a profitable endeavor. Uh, but it certainly wasn't the case of like, you know, we shipped it and it was instant success. It was a, you know, we shipped Blink Sale. I mean, it was still a lot more work. And I can, you know, I think now like we could have uh, looked at it and said, okay, wow, we spent all that money and now, you know, we have the service that's bringing in maybe a couple thousand dollars a month, and that doesn't really um, justify the upfront expense. But we pushed it through, and it was, you know, work getting there. But I'm glad we did in retrospect. Um, but it wasn't easy. And, you know, it was a year later where finally it was like, okay, this might work out. Um, and that was still, I think, very early in, again, kind of that software as a service days. Um, as it started to grow, it was funny because I was maybe, I think maybe 25 at the time. And um, after the second version, I uh, got a, uh, actually a call from Sequoia Capital um, out in, you know, Silicon Valley, we were still in Dallas. And it was like, oh, have you ever thought about raising money for Blink Sale? Would you like to come out and talk to us? And I didn't know a thing about that world. And so I, I did, I got on a friend with, uh, got on a plane with an attorney friend of mine and we went out and um, uh, spent a day at Sequoia. And, and I wouldn't even say we pitched them on it because I didn't know what a pitch was. It was more like, <laughs> I'll show you what we built. And, and uh, I remember we met with uh, an investor named is Roloff Botha and Roloff is like kind of a superstar. I had no, again, I had no clue at the time who he was. Um, and I remember Roloff asked, Oh, what well, do you think that there's, you know, a chance that you could grow blink sale into a, you know, $50 million a year business. And I was just like, what? <laughs> um, and I, I it, honestly, I think it probably scared me off. It was that realization of, Oh wow, this is, you know, this is the the outcome that they expect if they're going to invest in a, a company like what I what I built here at Blinkstone. That's I, I had that was the farthest thing from my mind. Some a number like you know fifty million dollars. Uh, the funny thing now is fast forward ten years and I, and I look at it with like hindsight and what I know about the industry and what I know about you know venture capital and I think 
oh man, like we totally could have done 15 million a year with that. I look at the, uh, uh, I look at some of the companies that have actually grown and filled that space, and they're they're really profitable, successful companies there. And that was, you know, in some ways, just a, a naivety of my part of like what could be there. Now that said, I, you know. I still don't know that I would have wanted to do that. Um, I think financial software is really hard. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I ultimately kind of moved away from it and chose to focus on other things. Um, but certainly I think it speaks to like the validity of the idea at the time and what I still think is a, a valuable service today. Yeah, absolutely. So what I think what's really interesting in that too is Blink Sale what was the timeline around that versus kind of starting to move into other apps and doing other things? And what was the sequence of events that led you to go? I mean, it sounds kind of like, okay, we don't want to be in financial, uh, but what yeah. were the other things that led you away from blink sale ultimately to focus in other areas? So we talked about a little bit, um, you know, before I got out about, you know, how, what was the transition like from, you know, pure services company to a product company. And as BlinkSale grew, probably, you know, as we reached, again, I think we launched in 2005. And I mentioned, you know, it was well into 2006 before I started to see that maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and then another year passed, you get into 2007, and Scott, um, we'd hired full time at that point, you know, to work on BlinkSale. We'd hired another engineer to work on it. We had a team building up, and it had grown into um, basically being half of our our operations uh, revenue. So half was coming in from Blink Sale, half was coming in from from client work. And the thought for me was, are there other ways that we can again continue to invest in product, uh, divest ourselves from having to do as much client work, and you know continue these flows? And so one of the other ideas that we had. Uh, again, kind of building for designer tools was this thing called Icon Buffet. And um, it was kind of this crazy community for designers who wanted to um, uh, swap stock icons. And for us, it was really just a marketing gimmick to, again, sell our, our stock services and market our products. And it turned out like that community like took off and had legs itself, not ever – like it made money, but not like significant amounts of money, but the community was super vibrant and, you know, there were tens of thousands of people on there that were, um, swapping icons and it was just this weird thing at the time. Um, and one of my clients at the same time, uh, was a fella, uh, this is just one of our studio clients was a fellow named Sean Parker. And some people may know him as Justin Timberlake from the social network. And Sean, uh, who is like nothing like what Justin Timberlake portrayed him to be, but still funny. Um, Sean took a look at Icon Buffet and was like really intrigued with what we had built. And this was long about 2007 when Facebook had launched, you know, Facebook platform. It was the first time they'd opened that up, you know, to third party developers. And Sean, I'm oversimplifying here, but basically said, you know, you should take Icon Buffet and put it on Facebook platform. Um, and just make it a game. Forget like any of the market your design studio stuff. Just take the basic mechanics of I'm trading and swapping pixels and put them in a social environment, and you know it's got to be a success. Uh, it turns out Sean like was pretty prescient on that, and we ended up building this thing called Pack Rat, uh, which was a you know social game that predated you know, Farmville and all the, the Zynga games, but very much shared some similar mechanics to what we had built with Icon Buffet. You, 
you know, you unlock these icon cards. They're very rarity. You swap them with your friends. And we built a business model around it. And again, it, it turned out to be, um, you know, I'd say like a cottage, you know, cult hit type success. Never the, you know, bajillions of users that, um, uh, you know, Farmville was pulling down for a team at the time of seven, you know, 10, 12 people. It was um, more than profitable. I mean, we, we did really well off of, off of Packrat. And it was at that point that now we had Packrat that was legitimately doing like major revenue and Blink Sale was still a thing. Um, and I was kind of forced to this, like, I can't, you know, we had, quality was important to us. And so there was just a question like, where do we want to invest our time? We couldn't do both. And so we kind of had to decide like, where do we want to put our eggs? Uh, what basket we want to put them in? And so we made the decision to, to do that with Packrat because it was obviously growing, you know, faster and had had a you know larger revenue. And sadly, that was when like Blink Sale was, I, I was, I just wasn't getting the attention that it needed, and it still had plenty of customers, still profitable, still doing its thing, but we weren't getting to bug fixes, bug fixes as fast as we wanted to, or new features as fast as we wanted to. And uh, it probably existed in that state for about six months or so um, uh, before a fella. I don't know if you you know Brandon Cotter. He's kind of part of the old Dallas, you know, uh, Dallas tech space. Uh, kind of came along and said, hey, you've got this thing. Do you have any interest in selling? Because there's the business there. And I put the time into it. And so uh, I didn't really did. I'd known Brandon for a while. I didn't seek him out on the thing. Uh, and it turned out to just be um, – I would say like a decent situation in terms of finding somebody who wanted to put the effort in and put a team around it. And, um, uh, you know, for us, it was a way to, uh, move it to a home where it would get the attention that it needs, um, while we were focused on something else. And so in a lot of ways, it was one of those decisions that seemed real natural and kind of made itself, you know, at the time, uh, there wasn't a lot of like serious thought. It was just a, um, yeah, this is the right move to make, uh, both for us and both for, you know, the Blink Cell product and, and community to have a dedicated team behind it that can give it the attention that it, that it needs. It, again, it's, I would say, a little bit bittersweet. And then I look back at it and it's like, you know, having been now, having played the hand that was Packrat and Koala and you see that and you look back like, well, that other hand could have been like pretty good too. I think they were both, you know, viable businesses and we, you know, we chose to, you know, move one on in its current state. Um, it was, you know, all in a successful endeavor for us. And I'm glad that we did it. I'm, you know, uh, it was a great opportunity to sell it off to, to Brandon at the time uh, and, and Double Wide Labs who, who continued to work. Um, but yeah, it was a, it's your baby. And, um, you know, I look back on it at times and think, you know, what would it have been like to have continued work on it? Because I do still think that the, you know, the idea in the space is one that was, that was good. Um, but that's how, you know, that was where we kind of parted ways with, with Blink Sale and, you know, dove full-time into, into Packrat. The, uh, I think the outcome of Packrat and that, that experience of building it is we realized that we had, we had built this community that basically had gamified sitting on your butt for 10 hours a day in front of Facebook <laughs> And uh, we were looking to do like a game because we knew like, okay, Packrat's going to get this big. 
and it'll, you know, it'll go on, but you know, what else can we do that, you know, allows us to keep growing here? And, uh, at this point, it's, you know, 2008, 2009, Apple releases, you know, an iPhone that has a GPS in it. And there's kind of this crazy idea of, okay, let's take the same mechanics again, icons that can be, you know, found, discovered, traded, and put it into, you know, the real world. And instead of, um, trading icons in front of your computer will get you to go out and explore the real world and do this. And, and that was um, kind of the, the genesis of, you know, the idea behind Gowalla. Let's just, you know, let's make icons for all the places and you can go out and collect them. Um, and it turned out that was, you know, kind of, uh, it was popular too. Again, it was, no, no super oppression foresight on that one just happened to, to strike a chord that um, I think a lot of people, you know, got into. That was, again, early days for iOS as well. So there was, you know, now there's so many things and so many interesting ideas. And back then it was still very greenfield and, and fresh. Um, I look at, even from a timing standpoint, though, and from an IP standpoint, um, you know, the success, especially last summer of like Pokemon Go, which had very like yeah. similar characteristics to what we were doing with Koala and actually shared a board member as well. So there's there's a little bit of shared DNA there, um, I think speaks to the fact that like the idea was uh, was a good one. The timing and like the technology um, has evolved a long way. So I think you still have these opportunities to, to build these big hits. I think the Pokemon IP, you know, certainly helps a whole lot in terms of like raising awareness. Um, just a little. Yeah, just a little. Uh, but I think that, like, I'm really proud of what we built, you know, with Koala and it was, um, I think special for the time that it existed. Um, what do you want me to talk about from there? Yeah, this, no, no, this is this is good. I've got a, I've got a slew of questions from all this. Um, one, yeah, there's definitely no doubt that everything that y'all created was loved by the people that used it. Like not just like oh, this is a neat app, okay, but like everybody, there was a really passionate group of users around yeah. everything you built. Um, and so you know, I think that speaks to a lot. I think a lot of it, like you said, it's just the kind of market forces and timing can play such a role. Uh, and how that all works. And I love, I, like, absolutely love how there just wasn't a master plan to any of that. It was because so many people, I feel like, set themselves up and they want to have that perfect idea that they can say, let's go all in on this idea. And they wait forever and ever before they actually commit to anything and really try it. And then nothing ever happens. Whereas, and, and it's not always going to work if you just go chase every idea that comes into your head, but the idea of pursuing these different channels and really pursuing them, not just dabbling in them, but saying, let's go do this. And one thing connects to another and you can see the exact line, even Blinkzell, I'm sure a lot of the technical experience you gained from that factored into Packrat and Gowalla. And it's interesting to see how just by doing things, one thing leads to another, you learn, you gain experience, you're pushing your boundaries and you're you know, taking it one level further every time. Uh, and obviously with no plan, you just were doing. And so I think that's a huge thing that people can learn from to just go out and tinker and play and then commit to it and really kind of follow it through it to the end and see how it plays out. Uh, one of the, uh, I'm not sure which of the two questions I want to go to first, I guess let's go ahead and continue this out. So Gowalla gets acquired by Facebook. 
how was that experience uh, in terms of, you know, here you are, you built this hugely popular thing, uh, but just the way it was going and with Foursquare and all the other surrounding forces, like how did that play out and how did it feel kind of making that transition and going from being a founder to an employee again? Well, not again, for the first time, probably for you really, yeah. in a while. Yeah, it, was, it was truly one of the first times for me, certainly in, in that you know capacity. It was, um, it was certainly a, a difficult, it was a difficult transition, you know, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, you know, ultimately we ended up raising, just due to the attention of the space, we ended up raising, you know, um, a little over $10 million for, for Koala over, over a couple of rounds and had some just stellar investors and fantastic folks that we were working with there. Uh, and we raised that money, and at the time, again, Foursquare was raising money as well aggressively. And both companies were raising that money um, somewhat under the assumption that uh, someone in this space was going to become the next Twitter, the next Facebook, that location sharing uh, was going to become like a network in and of itself. And so the, the investment money that was coming into these companies was somewhat predicated on, you know, Goala being a social network, on Foursquare being a social network. And ultimately that didn't play out, you know, uh, as designed for either company. And and both have gone, you know, obviously we sold to Facebook. Uh, Foursquare's changed their their business model and has, has found a, uh, a different path to sustainability at this point. Uh, but at the time, you understand that that was, those were the pressures and that was the expected outcome. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, Facebook ended up launching, you know, a, a check-in feature. Um, and when things start to look like more clear that, oh, Facebook's going to gobble, like the social side of this up, we've raised $10 million. You, you, you know, at that point, there's one of those questions, how do you justify the outcome? Um, we were, you know, spending through that money. Um, we didn't have, you know, enough revenue coming in to justify like the overhead of the headcount that we had hired again, kind of on this expectation that we're going to go, you know, uh, exponentially up and to the right. And so you're forced to, you know, reconcile the, well, do we go out and raise a bunch more money, you know, to, to kind of, um, fuel the, fuel the fire, uh, now the, the space is starting to, you know, cool a little bit. Um, or do you kind of get everybody out in so many ways? And it was, it was really difficult because, um, we were not in an advantageous, you know, position being number two player in the market, um, you know, to, to raise money and, uh, we needed to, you know, it was one of those, like, we're either going to, we're going to be insolvent in a number, you know, in six months, or, um, we have to, uh, you know, find an outcome. And, Fortunately, um, the outcome for us was Facebook. There's a number of other places we could have ended up. Yeah, you could have ended up at Yahoo or something like that. And you know, that's the Yahoo, but like Facebook was a great place for us to land, and you know, high quality people there. And um, you know, we were uh, able able to land it in a way that like um, it wasn't too rough. I say I say that in the sense that like it was actually rough in a lot of ways, but it could have been like. Um, it could have been disastrous and it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the tough things for us and it was, you know, an era where like Facebook was growing, they were trying to acquire talented design teams. Um, 
our team fractured going through the, you know, the acquisition process. Um, a bunch, bunch of folks didn't continue on with Facebook. And that sucked. Um, it sucked for us as a team to have to, you know, some of us go on and some of us, you know, didn't. And, um, I really hate the fact that we, you know, ended up in that situation. I had to hate the fact that Goala doesn't, it doesn't exist as a product that we hadn't found. You know, we did not find a way to, you know, to make it sustainable because I think there's something beautiful there. And I, you know, the ideas are things that I'd love to, to re-explore. Um, but, you know, uh, when it's all said and done, um, it could have been much worse. And like everyone kind of got out with their shirt on. And so, uh, you know, and for some of us that meant, Hey, we moved to California and we went to work at Facebook and I ended up working on, you know, location and events and pages and, uh, you know, a number of products there as a product manager. Um, and it was a, a really, I think, great learning experience to be a larger company like that and see like what the, the process and the rigor was, uh, of an organization that when we joined had 3000 people, when I left had, you know, close to 7,000. And so it was pretty crazy, you know, watching that happen and being a part of that. Um, it was, you know, I think for me, having run effectively my own startup for, I mean, at that time, probably 10 years. Uh, and then to jump, go from like, hey, I've run a startup, which is a whip in and of itself, to now I've landed on like a really high velocity, you know, large company. It was, there's no, you know, no rest for the weary on that one. And so it's just kind of jumping from one fire into another. Um, but, you know, an enjoyable experience, and good people. It's a, um, you know, it's one of those places that, you know, at times I, I think, ah, I, I could have stayed there longer, you know. Um, but uh, I was ready to kind of step out and, uh, like I said, try some of those things again. I still believed a lot in what we were doing with Koala and felt like we, you know, had not fully been able to explore some of the things that we wanted to. And so after some time there, that's when, um, you know, made the decision to step back out and, and start Last Guide, which was, um, uh, you know, hired, co-founded with my, uh, with Adam Michaela Supa. Uh, who had gone on, who had been in Koala and gone on with us. Keegan came over. Some other former Koala people were part of that. And, and we hired a really great team, um, uh, really super talented team of former Apple, former Dropbox, former Facebook people, you know, kind of go and uh, go back into the mobile location space again. And um, that was like, last guide is a really interesting, you know, period for me in the sense that, um, I think like esoterically we had in our mind, like this is, we kind of knew what we wanted to build. Um, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't concrete by any means, but we had a lot of amazing people who wanted to come work for us. And we raised a small amount of money and it was enough to like, okay, well let's hire these people and we'll figure it out, you know, as we go. Um, in retrospect, I wouldn't, you know, I would have kept the team small again, but it was like, oh man, these incredible people want to come work with us. How do you say no? And, and, and so we, we kind of grew that team up a little bit. We shipped um, a product called Goji that was uh, kind of an experimental keyboard built on top of uh, the platform that we ultimately wanted to build with Last Guy. It never saw the light of day. So the general gist was that in Koala, there's a feature called Trips that was very popular but never got the love that it wanted. Um, uh, and so we kind of wanted to re-explore like how do you make these self-contained 
you know, guides, if you will, and serve them up in a contextualized way. Um, so that if it was a, you know, sunny Thursday afternoon, we could say, Hey, here's, you know, uh, here's a, a list of, of beer bars with patios that you could go hang out at right now and push those to people. And, um, there's a lot of really cool ideas that we had. And again, we shipped Goji, which was, um, kind of a, uh, a preview of that. Um, and then right in the middle of that, we were about, I guess, a year into last guide. Um, my grandmother passed and my father, um, whose cancer had been in remission, his cancer came back and it just blew up my year. Um, I ended up, you know, having to, uh, over the course of basically six months be gone attending to family for three or four of those. Yeah. And it's just not, not a good mix for, um, venture back startup, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, frankly, I look back and it's like, I'm happy with the things that we built. Um, I've structured the pacing of the company a little bit different. And then sometimes just shit happens, you know, and there's yeah. nothing you can, nothing you can do about that. And so, I'm, I'm vaguely um, familiar. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> right. Um, so it just, it is what it is. And we, um, we kind of gave it some thought about like, do we, you know, reboot it, so to say, do we try to put a little more fuel in, in the tank and uh, jumpstart it again? Um, and then at the time I was just kind of exhausted and I think, yeah. you know, Stupa and Keegan, and some of the others, we all were, you know, it was just, we'd been uh, part of the team. I mean, like we'd been working at Koala together. We spent time on Facebook together and now we're working on this and it was just like, we need a break. And, um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't in a healthy place, you know? (laughs) So, no, I, I completely relate. And that is in a lot of ways, very similar to kind of what I went through with Sifter and deciding, okay, I I need a break from being a, you know, it's a different scale, obviously, but it was all on me to carry everything. And it was definitely not something I was up for. So I completely relate. So, in terms of bootstrap, what's that? <laughs> so you hit the big red button, it's like I'm out, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and there is too, like there's constantly, I mean, I don't think I've had any regret, but there's constantly a, you know, I wonder, you know, could I have let it falter for a few months, kind of That's regained right. my composure and, and gone at it again? Would that have been the right thing for customers? Would that have been, you know, would I have been happy doing that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be questions, but I feel like ultimately it was the right decision. And, you know, that's yeah. kind of the most you can hope for. Well, you're in a similar situation as me too. And I think our families are like similar stages. And you also reach that place too of like realizing, okay, when I was, you know, 25 and I didn't have any kids and I had like a certain capacity and certain bandwidth, you can do this. Now all of a sudden you realize like, wow, um, you know, the stress that I put on, upon myself also has these downstream effects. Yep. And, and um, you do have to ask yourself, like, what's the what's the trade-off? And, you know, I think for me, it was just that realization of, like, um, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a season for everything. And, like, this isn't that season, you know. Yeah. And I need to take a step back. Yeah. No, I and I know uh, now working at Wildbed, I've even joked Chris and Natalie, like, at some point, I'm not going to be able to fight the itch. Like, I'm going to want to go try something again. Yeah. I don't even know what yet. 
or when years from now, I'm sure. Cause, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that kind of, there's an ebb and a flow to it where, you know, doing that, you know, seeing the people that do that nonstop for decades, just, you know, I don't know how they do it. I mean, the yeah. machines. Uh, one thing I definitely want to hit on is bootstrapping versus raising money. And we've kind of touched on it that raising money puts you in a whole other category of pressure and different expectations. Yeah. In hindsight, having done a little bit of both and had, you know, gone through that and had the outcomes you've had, what what do you see as the pros and cons? And based on that kind of what would you do differently in hindsight? Let's see. I mean, some of the pros and cons, I think, have, you know, are well-trod paths. You know, there's the obvious ones like, well, a con of bootstrapping is you you remain in control. You're not giving up, you know, equity to somebody else. Um, you can grow at your own pace uh, and kind of control your own outcomes. Uh, the cons to it, of course, is that you're, you're limited to um, the speed at which you can grow. You may or may not see that as a con. Um there is, um, it's just a lot of work. And again, you may or may not see that as a con, but it's the, the act of like bootstrapping blink sale and bootstrapping, um, icon buffet and some of the early things that we did were, um, they, it didn't happen overnight, you know? And so you are having to, you kind of do that on, on the edges and you have to put in, you know, this extra time on top of the time that, you're doing your services to pay the bills or doing your day job or whatever it happens to be. And so um, you, you have to realize that that, that time's going to come from somewhere and it's going to, you know, uh, it's going to take that extra work. Um, the flip side is, again, I think ultimately for me, um, being able to build something with your own hands and know like at the end of the day, this is mine. It's really, it's satisfying and fulfilling, you know, to do that. Um, I think if you have a business model where, um, you know, where there's obvious money that's coming off the back and it makes a lot, makes a lot more sense to bootstrap as long as you can, because, um, again, you kind of prove to yourself that this is valid. The, uh, you know, raising capital, I think there are, there are certain things where, again, market timing is such that there's an obvious advantage to being able to move into a market quickly and establish yourself and like scale a product faster. And there are reasons to do that. Um, I think for Guala at the time, what we were trying to do uh, and how we were pitching it, I think raising money was the right thing to do at that time, like in that window. And you know, the flip side is when you do that. Uh, the outcome expectations are different. And certainly with regard to like Silicon Valley style venture capital, um, these investors like want a legitimate outcome. And we're talking like not not 10x, we're talking like 100x, 1000x, you know, like massive, massive outcomes, which mean like when you go and you raise money, you know, a few million dollars from one of these uh, one of these firms, you know, there's an expectation that these companies are going to, you know, have a hundred million dollar, billion dollar, you know, outcome. Not like I sold it for ten million dollars. Not like mm -hmm. I, ra I raised two million dollars and we sold it for ten, and that's a success. That's not the game that's being played. It's the, you know, I raised, you know, two million dollars and then ten million dollars and then twenty million dollars, and then we sold this for 
you know, a few billion. And that's a that's a really uh, aggressive game to play. And I think that there's a lot of companies right now that are being started that don't that aren't coming into it with that mindset that, that it's like, oh, I'm going to raise money. Um, but ultimately what I want is a lifestyle business outcome. I, I get, I hate that term. Other people hate that term. Um, but there's, a, I think the outcomes are different. And so if, you know, um, I, I think there's a lot of companies that are raising money right now that, um, that shouldn't be. And, you know, the outcome will never justify, you know, what was raised to put in. And this is like actually one of my things now um, with the, with the you know, the gloss gone that like Gowala is not going to become the next Facebook social network. The ideas that were there, I think, were interesting. And like some concepts are things that I would love to re-explore. But I have a really difficult time um, thinking about them in the context of re-exploring it as a venture-backed company. And... Um, I think there's a lot of things that I would try to re-explore under the guise of like, how can I bootstrap this again effectively myself? Um, uh, so the, what's difficult is that like, there's nothing like exists really in between. And there have been a few, you know, a few outfits like, um, uh, NDVC and some others that kind of exist yeah. in this like seed structured financing that have an expectation of a different outcome. And, I would love to see more of that because one of the difficult things that does not exist right now, or it's like much more difficult is like the ability for like small businesses to go and get a loan. Like you right. can't like look at my, like my parents built this amazing landscape company um, in the Dallas area. And it was like, it was a traditional small business, you know, and um, uh, employed, you know, 30 people and lots of people went shopping there every week and to buy plants and flowers and shrubs. And it was a, you know, your typical American small business. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, but it was a, a success story at a certain scale. And they did that because they were able to get like, you know, a loan to build some greenhouses and, and to, um, you know, prove that they had this idea that they could get capital for and, and get back, you know, under we'll say reasonable terms. And, and like, it, that's a really, you don't, you can't just go down to your bank now and get loans for that sort of stuff. Um, and on the flip side, private investors, private market, I think is, is generally over indexed toward venture capital. So I think there's a market for something that kind of exists in between and, and people like NDVC are, are doing that. Um, but there, there definitely needs to be more, um, of like things that allow you to like, Hey, I can use a little capital, but at the end of the day, like the intent is to, to pay this back, you know, with some interest, and um, you know, I still own my thing. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. Um, there's some there's so, there's middle ground on the on the spectrum right now that isn't there's not a lot of coverage, right? It's bootstrap or go raise money and start that start that timer on yourself. That's right. But there's not a lot of middle that's ground right. that. Yeah, I love I love the ideas that NDVC is pursuing and talking about, and I, I'm I know I'm excited to see kind of how that shakes out and if it you know, gets more people interested in kind of a healthy returns instead of astronomical yeah. returns. That's right. So, I mean, that, that's where I think it's like, if you're in your mind, if you're that guy who hears the investor say, Hey, can you grow this to $50 million a year? And you're like, absolutely I can. And like, you have that confidence level of, you know, that's that I get it. That's the outcome I'm going for. Then yeah, go raise that money, you know? Um, but if in the back of your mind, you're like, Oh, I never actually thought about that. 
Um, you know, I don't know if this business is actually even capable of achieving anything like that. Then I think you have to question like, why am I raising this money? Yeah, no, very true. Um, so we're, we're kind of starting to get long, but there's a couple more things I want to hit on. Um, so one, I guess, uh, talk a little bit kind of about what your plans are now with, uh, designing and, uh, you know, are you just taking a step back after the, the roller coaster you've been on and, and catching your breath and uh, how's that going? Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of after we, you know, dissolved last guy and, um, you know, I, I just decided, Hey, I still got kids. I got you know, college education to pay for at some point for them. So, you know, I, I could just, but I didn't want to jump back into, you know, um, starting another company. I just couldn't. So, uh, I thought, well, Hey, I, I, I love design work. I love working on early stage products. I love working on early stage brands. So I'll just do it for some other people. I'll go work with some friends and help them out in their companies and, and kind of just go back into design consulting again. And, um, I started doing that about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, out, out of, uh, you know, just, again, work on some interesting projects with some folks. And in the midst of that, uh, my wife also decided that she wanted to uh, jump back into school and go to culinary school. And so uh, that precipitated us moving out of San Francisco up to, to Napa, where she's in culinary school up here right now. And for me, it was just a matter of like, well, hey, I can still continue doing, you know, design consulting from wherever. So I go into the city you know, every other week or so, work with clients down there, and otherwise, you know, work from work from the house here where I am right now. Um, in the same way, I'm like I'm, I'm doing brand design work again. I'm doing some product design work. I work with one or two clients at a time, and and I really enjoy that. I work. I enjoy working on early stage stuff, and it's nice working on somebody else's problem. Where like at the end of the day, it's not like I'm not the one <laughs> having to do the board. It's reports. their problem. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's their problem. Uh, but it's, it's fun. It's fun to work with, again, I think small teams where, you know, you can build something in that environment. Uh, yeah. I've spent a lot of time working over the last year on a, an email, I'll plug it, uh, an email client called Astro. That's like, a, you know, kind of a mailbox style, uh, native Mac and iOS, you know, email client that, um, uh, you know, exists in, you know, kind of our, um, Slack era. Uh, so I've been working on that and then doing a couple of brand design projects in the same time, like, I'm back in the, okay, well, how do I, um, uh, I want to do my own products again, but I don't want to like, I don't want to do a company right now. So how do I, what do I do? Um, so my other, I'll tell you my other like, um, little side thing, but over the holidays, I made this crazy calendar and this goes back to, um, uh, my love for iconography and the like. So kind of the same thing. So I thought, Oh, I'm going to do a calendar for some friends and on all the holidays, I'm going to sub out the dates for like emoji and like replace, you know, Christmas with the Christmas tree and Easter with a like chick coming out of the egg and, and so on. So I did this calendar. I, I, I'll show you something over here. Um, I'll hold it up. It's a, like one of the early, I call it the Unicalendar since um, it was like Unicode for all the Unicode characters. And if you can like see the little black ones or yeah. all the icons are there. So I gave them to friends and they like turned out that everyone started asking where they could buy, buy them. And I'd never intended that. And so, cause I'm just doing a short run of them. Uh, so now I'm like, okay, well, I've, I've got to do this for real now. And so I'm, I'm gearing up to like, along with the unit calendar, some other stuff, like start producing my own products again. And, and, uh, we'll see, you know, at yeah. the very least sell some things on the side. And, uh, it's, it's nice to, um, 
work on some things that I'm interested in and, and I find fun, but, um, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen where your creative endeavors kind of end up pulling you. So be careful that you're not, uh, at Sand Hill in a couple of weeks, raising $50 million for your calendar business. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 trust me, I've, I've been on the path enough times now. Hopefully, like, I'm, I, I actually, I really, um, I cannot complain about my life one bit you know, at this point. I, I live in a really small town, um, and my kids go to school like a few blocks from where I live. Um, uh, it's pretty, my wife is, you know, uh, she's working an externship at a fairly like a Michelin star restaurant right now, um, tending their garden and working their grill. It, like it's pretty great. Yeah. So like I'm, I, I don't want to go back to Sand Hill and do that. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, I'm pretty satisfied doing my design work and and making my calendar. You know, for the time being. <laughs> it is really funny the parallel. We're moving to a town of three thousand. Yeah, our, our girls will be two blocks from school. They'll, you know, you walk everywhere type of place, yeah. and it's just that's what's appealing right now. Like, yeah. slow down, stop the whole constantly feeling like you've got to do more and grow and grow and grow and just take a step back and breathe. And it's been, that's and we're right. not there yet. The moving process is a pain, but theoretically, it'll be good. So yeah, <laughs> The the one. Biggest question. So looking back at all this, um, and this may be kind of the same thing. It's kind of a two-part question. What's through this whole journey of yours, what's been the worst day, the roughest day, uh, just to get through that day? How did you get through it? And then if it's different, if you could go back to the very beginning and tell yourself one thing and know that you'd actually listen to yourself uh, to do differently, what would that be? Mm. Um, I, I think there's there's probably two two days that stick out. Uh, one was the day that you know kind of had come to the realization that you know we were going to have to sell Gowala to Facebook, uh, and I say have to in the sense that like we we were incapable of like continuing as an independent organization, and um, I. You know, you come to that realization of like we're not going to be able to raise funding the way we want to. We're going to have to sell to some. These are going to be the best buyers. So, and it you feel helpless. You know that, especially knowing that like, hey, all the people believe, like users believed in you, employees believed in this vision. Um, you're all building this thing together, and, and it's not going to work out. And um, there's an overwhelming sense of employment um both in yourself and and um uh, and, and the unknown of like what are we going to do now it was horrible i remember just like i, I just like the deepest pit you know having to and it's weird because it's like oh you're selling the facebook and everything um but at the same time it, it wasn't what you were uh, and that's no fault of facebook's at all that's just like the nature of where we were and um uh and then the second was um, in the middle of last guide, you know, when my dad's cancer came back. He actually ran away. Um, he was kind of on a, a bad medicine trip and ran away from home in the middle of all that. And um, it was right when uh, we were at a critical point as well. I had to leave everything and like literally go find dad. And there was that, that realization, same thing of like, I, you know, you have employees that, that wanted more out of this and you, there's nothing you can do to, 
to change this outcome at this point. And, you know, it's like, what, are you not going to go find your dad? No. Like, yeah. instead, people are going to sit around, you know, wondering, like, what are they actually supposed to be working on for the next several weeks while, you know, you're sorting your life out. And um, uh, in both cases, you know, now with, with hindsight, um, I think the thing, I, I don't know there's anything I could have changed about either situation, um, but I think time has a way of like, when you're in the midst of those things, like everything, down, there's no light at the end of the tunnel and like, you're just done. And, um, you know, in retrospect, you look back and, and there's a realization that, um, you know, it's, it's not the case. And for as, as horrible as those moments were in the, in the midst of them, they were, you know, it sounds cliche, but, you know, a little bit character producing. And, um, uh, and also, ultimately, it shines a little bit of a light on, like, what's, at least for me, like, what's most important in life and kind of this realization that, um the relationships with my coworkers at Gowala were ultimately like very important and the relationship with my family, um, you know, has been very important over the last, you know, last couple of years as I've dealt with some of the stuff. And, um, in the midst of, you know, all the business dealings and decisions, you do kind of have to finally ask yourself like, okay, at the end of the day, is it more important that we, we raise this money or, you know, get this deal done or, or, you know, do I do right by people? Um, and, you know, I'd like to think that I've done a decent job with that. Like, it's hard. You can't please everybody. And I know I look back, you know, situations with certain coworkers or even certain investors where you're like, I, I dropped the ball on that one and it sucks. And you kind of have to come to peace with, you know, some of those things that um, not everything's going to be right. But, um, there's ways that, you know, time doesn't stop and you have, there's more that can be done and, and you can, uh, I think, continue building. And, and what's great is like, I, you know, for me, I was in, um, uh, on vacation last week and, uh, with my family in Hawaii and just, um, I randomly bumped into, um, a woman who was one of our earliest employees at Packrat and, and Gowala and just, she actually just turned out she's moved there. Um, and it was like so amazing. I, we hadn't seen each other in, in ages, but, um, like really fantastic to like still have these relationships intact, even though that, um, you know, the adventure that you, you went on together is like long since come to a close. And so I think, you know, keeping those, those connections, those relationships strong is really important because ultimately like none of these things you can build on your own, even if you like, you know, even if you own the whole thing and stuff, so to say, like none of us are working in a vacuum and, um, keeping these relationships strong is really important. It's, it's interesting that it's almost always, whenever I ask people, it's so frequently, times where people feel like they let people down either their team or customers or whatever it is it almost invariably comes back to that um, in a lot of cases it's raising funding and having to take pay cuts or to yeah. let people go or whatever it is and it, it comes down to that it's everybody's toughest day is when they've got to tell people bad news or 
mm-hmm. you know, buckle down and make something work. That's you know when you're in a bad situation. So it's interesting. That's right. So the last part of that, then, if you could go back to, uh, I guess, what would it be about 2004, 2005 ish, and give yourself some advice to do something differently, what would it be? To do something differently. Um, doesn't have to be huge. Doesn't have to completely yeah. change the game. I think that, um, you know, for me, if I look at the part of my life that um, I would, I hate to say suffer, but that's probably the best way to describe it, that like suffered the most, so like where I sacrificed the most was um, probably family impact, especially when my, my first daughter was, you know, an infant. Um, my second daughter was born. Like we were, you know, pretty high. We were raising money and it was high stakes and, you know, we thought it was high stakes, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but it put a lot of, you know, put a lot of stress on my family. I was traveling a lot and there's a lot of things that you think, Oh, this, this one thing is the thing that's really important. It's going to make a difference. Um, and you look for like a lot of, you know, what are these big hits that are going to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they're all of a sudden going to be the thing that, that, um, uh, changes your trajectory and, and chasing those, you know, big hits, if you will, you can, um, uh, pull a lot of time from other things that, that are important. And I think that's the one thing where like, again, bootstrapping in a certain way, at least like changes the pacing. And you still feel that way. It's still feel that way. That's right. Um, but you know, I think that's one of those things like looking back, it's, it's an idea. I would tell myself, Hey, like, don't, um, uh, don't chase these opportunities to the expense of like people that you're going to be living your whole life with, you know? And, um, uh, so I feel like, you know, as much as I've had a reasonable number of like successes and failures, there's not a lot I would change. Um, you know, I look at it, it's like, well, this, it's actually been a pretty interesting journey. I've learned a lot. And I feel to the very least I've worked on things that um, have stayed true to like the sorts of things that I'm interested in and I'm happy about that. And um, that part I feel like uh, I'm very pleased with. And, you know, if if anything, you know, you don't, don't sniff the crap on your own shoes too much. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but otherwise I I feel like, uh, it's been a, it's been a good journey. Right on. All right. Well, that is all I've got for you. We kind of ran a little long, but I think it was worth it. It's been fun. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure all the uh, listeners will as well. Awesome. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks.